Okay, I'm here at um, GDC Online, and with me today is a special guest. How about you introduce yourself? Uh, my name is Alex St. John. I'm President and Chief Technology Officer of High Five Networks. And so you've gained some media exposure because you've talked about how social, um, you have a strong viewpoint of social games. Can you summarize that for the audience? Well, I've expressed many uh, viewpoints publicly. Uh, I think the one I've expressed uh, previously is that, um, you know, social networking as, you know, it was first formulated, it was first seen as successful as kind of a passing fad. It was a phenomena that um, was in some sense uh, Facebook enabled, uh, from their point of view, a security problem that allowed uh, games to spam their users, and Facebook regarded that as a hostile or negative impact on their user base and kind of cut it off. And the very first games that really succeeded at what we call social networking were really games that whose only entertainment value was just sufficient to perpetuate themselves while the perpetuating was good. Uh, once uh, Facebook rolled back the freedom to do that, it really changed the economy and ecology for social games dramatically. And so we're going to see, uh, or we are seeing, another generation of social media games that are very different from that sort of first iteration that defined the marketplace originally. Um, but can it just be said that, I mean, that's just how everything evolves. I mean, when for, when things first start out, I mean, people have to get some kind of beachhead in so that they can start making revenue and invest and stuff like that. So, um, you know, how... I mean, why criticize social networking games for doing that? Oh, sure. No, it's absolutely... You know, what's fascinating is the thing I criticize, really, is is the misperceptions about what was discovered in social networking. I think it's funny to call social network games social when they're not that social. Uh, the very first hit game on Facebook was multiplayer poker, which, of course, has been on the Internet a long time ago. Uh, you know, we didn't call a multiplayer bridge on Yahoo a decade ago social gaming. Uh, so I think it's very funny that there's a sort of, well, we just discovered a new kind of game, we're going to call it social, when really you don't play with people in real time. Zynga never made another multiplayer actual play and chat with people game again. And so I think that there's a lot of misperceptions, and so, you know, the irony or the thing that I, I can make fun of in some sense is that there's a lot of people who are very new to online gaming and a lot of mistaken lessons taken from the success of what are called social games on Facebook. And I think that troubles me because I've been building online games and publishing them for many, many years. And one of the things that I'm concerned about is a lot of small developers you know, risk their business and their success, in some cases on a lot of false assumptions about where the opportunity is for their products. And if you really want to help these small developers be successful, I think that it's a disservice to perpetuate wrong ideas about what is making games successful in the marketplace. Uh, as an, an example, you know, uh, RuneScape and games like Club Penguins are light, flash-based RuneScape Java in this case, but uh, Runes, uh, Club Penguin's multiplayer games, uh, turn-based, have the same sort of anti-social, can't really interact with anybody kind of play mechanic that uh, you see in social networking games. And they took off virally and exponentially on the internet without any venture capital or any help from Facebook. And so one of the things that I think people in social networking forget is that great games structured the right way don't need any magic help. In fact, the thing that is really novel about what we call social networking games is the first generation of them are games nobody wants to play outside a social network. If you put them on Miniclip or Congregate or any of the really popular Flash gaming sites, they, nobody plays them. 
And so the interesting discovery, in some sense, is that there is some magic pixie dust associated with social networking that seems to make bad games good ones magically, and if you take the social networking characteristic away, the games don't perform. And so I think that the important or exciting lesson is that social networking itself is a new kind of play mechanic. It is a game. And in some sense, the first generation of things we call social networking games are really media enhancements to socializing and competing with friends for status and social attention and recognition. And so in some sense, I think the discovery of social networking itself is the big revelation. And the focus on the media enhancements to social networking, or at least that first generation, is misguided because the companies or small developers who are trying to be successful making those things are destined to fail if their aspiration isn't to make Facebook itself or a social network itself. And so one of the things I try to talk to developers about is say, look, you know, online games, good online games, thrive all by themselves. There are ways to build good online games that succeed independently of a social network. Now, I run a social network, so there's pixie dust I can spray on a good game to make it more successful or sprinkle on a game to make it more successful. And I think that's the real value add of social networking is to take great games or intrinsically great games and augment them uh, rather than sort of the first generation fad of taking uh, viral, you know, spamming games uh, and then, you know, annoy a lot of your friends with them as popular as they are. Facebook, of course, you know, concluded that's a bad idea and cuts, uh, cuts it off, uh, causing a situation where now only game developers and social networks who make really substantive games and have significant financial resources to buy their advertising or distribution on Facebook can afford to be successful. And so the thing that, that I'm interested in doing with High Five is that having made game platforms for many, many years, uh, what I want to do is bring to good game developers, companies who really genuinely make great online games, some of that pixie dust independently of dependence on a social network like Facebook or High Five's interior bubble of users uh, so that those games can go and be successful and thrive on the internet without having to play by some publisher's interior network rules. And so a lot of what we're doing at High Five is what we call externalizing the social graph so game developers can just adopt it and put their games anywhere they want to in front of any audiences they want to, uh, not just to my interior 50 million users on the terms that I want to present your games on. Um, you know, and I say this in the most respectful way possible, um, so you mentioned Yahoo Games, and then, um, you know, then you mentioned the fact that, you know, they had these games, and then, you know, why wasn't it social back then compared to now? I mean, doesn't that just highlight that, you're right, these games on MSN and real arcade and whatever they were there for a long time is it just because the game community the game business the game industry just doesn't have a clue about the, the actual audience that could potentially care about games is is the fact that these social network games actually are now you know in terms of the people and the number of people they're impacting is just so much greater than traditional games uh showing the disconnect be, uh, is it is it just showing the disconnect between the game industry and the web industry? Is is the reason why social games took off? It maybe they needed their own uh, little category just to kind of differentiate them from the other clueless parts of the game industry, uh, because now they're coming from the website, and that's that's why you have that heavy focus on analytics and other things. So I, I think that is a fantastic question because the answer is, and there's a lot of this is one of those areas where you go, people just don't understand. Uh, social gaming probably, statistically speaking, did not create a single new online gamer. 
the thing that's fascinating is that online gameplay has been the dominant activity for use of broad categories of audiences on the internet for over a decade. Um, one of the funny things is that in the 90s, you know, late 90s, early 2000s, online game, gambling in the U.S. took off. Uh, and sites like MSN and Yahoo carried what multiplayer games, social games, carried them because the advertising premiums they were getting from the online casino sites were astronomical. So the first multiplayer gaming sites and casual portals like MSN, Yahoo, and AOL Games made their money carrying online casino advertising. Around 2000, that was a $2.2 billion online industry. And the gamers were mom, 35 and up on average, and mom during the afternoon when she, when the kids aren't you know driving her crazy, would drop on average $250 in the late 90s and early uh, 2000s on online casinos. What happened in 2002 is the U.S. cracked down on the portals for carrying that advertising and pushed the dollars into what we now call the casual game business, because those portals said, well, we can't uh, we can't carry casino ads anymore. Well, so mom was already a gamer, 100. Percent. Uh, that's what online casinos taught mom to be a gamer and to use uh, her credit card online, fascinatingly enough, but it's not well understood. Casual games emerged in the absence of that casino business. And of course, what is the most successful, famous, downloadable game in history? Do you know what it is? Um, Popcat. Bejeweled. Bejeweled, which looks remarkably like what? Yeah, a slot machine. It looks like a slot machine game. What a shocking coincidence. Um, and so one of the fascinating things is that what we know of as the casual game business, which today is a multi-billion dollar business, was a throw-off of the casino business. And if you look at what we call social gaming, what's fascinating about that is the first hit social game that we all know, Zynga Poker, January 2007, uh, was a hit immediately after the U.S. Excuse me, U.S. government cracked down and started arresting offshore poker operators in the U.S. And so all of these multi-billion dollar publicly traded poker operations operating out of Europe withdrew their games from the U.S. market and people found the same game, multiplayer poker on Facebook when all of these traditional outlets that they'd been consuming it on vanished. And so suddenly this created this miraculous success, social gaming out of Facebook when in fact it was the same phenomena that caused the casual game business a change in gambling regulations interestingly enough. So today when you say, hey, has social gaming made anybody more ubiquitous? Well, if you actually go to um, uh, quantcast.com and look up farmville.com on it, and you will see along the right hand side the affinity is 5 to 10x for traditional casual game downloadable sites. So the people who are playing Farmville are the exact same people who are playing playing Bejeweled and downloadable games and have been for years. It did not create a new market. Well, you know, it's the, fine. It's the exact same category, but it, it got more people within that, that demographic. Um, Farmville did, uh, mainly because of the business model, too. I mean, that's another well, thing. I mean, you look at Yahoo, you look at MSN Games, they, they didn't really adopt any kind of, you know, provocative business model and, you know, more power to the social game companies that were able to do that and reinvest that. Well, you got to say bravo for them figuring out how to monetize the same audiences that were already being monetized. If you look at the casual game business itself, it's a multi-billion dollar business. I think it is absolutely fair to say that, that social media gaming has uh, maybe managed to get more credit cards from people than other gaming business models have, uh, but I think it's that, that audience was playing a huge volume of free games previously. If you look at the numbers, Zing 
Kanga claims. Uh, that is almost a one-to-one -one correlation to the paying audience for casual gaming. So there isn't a, they're not claiming an audience of paying users that is larger than the size of the same demographic that buys games from Big Fish and Real Networks and Wild Tangent. So if you look at the set of credit cards they get, it's not a big difference. Now, there's a huge amount of free play. They claim 95% of their play, which I would believe, uh, is from people who aren't paying them anything. Sure. And that's the same for casual. So, you know, it's very hard for anybody to say, this audience of people that's playing for free over here is a new audience that wasn't playing for free in other places. There's a lot of free play that's been going on for years. Um, you know, there seems to be a lot of bitterness um, from the casual gaming industry towards these new um, social game development companies. Do you think part of that is because in 2007, around that time, casual game companies were actually gearing up to make, quote, casual MMOs? And what happened was is that instead of you know having these standalone casual MMO sites that were supposed to come up in 2007, 8, 9, they really got trumped by these social networks that provided that MMO experience to these casual gamers who were already on yeah, no, I think that's a good... There was... When Club Penguins got bought by Disney, I think there was definitely a rush of the casual game companies to learn how to make social MMOs. Uh, and I think... Uh, I think your point, frankly, is very well taken because I think they were too slow and they really struggled. It's making an MMO is an entirely different kind of game design from making a single-player downloadable game. And these companies really had a hard time adapting to it. And the social guys did come along and show them a way to get it done, which was really successful. Um, so when I look across a lot of the small casual game developers, I think that there are relatively few that have been very successful in, in casual. Interestingly enough, of course, uh, PopCap um, with their Bejeweled Blitz game is one example of a company that has had some success making the transition, but I do see a lot of them realizing that, that it is kind of a new wave, it's where they need to take their business, and they really don't know how to do it, So they, and maybe they got there a little late. Okay, so let's, let's talk about High Five some more. Um, you know, so... So you're not too enthusiastic about the, the social gaming um, opportunity on Facebook. Uh, but, you know, for developers, smaller developers who are listening to your advice and want to take it, if they go on to High Five, they still have to pay the same amount. You know, it's, it's a 30% cut. What is the benefit of High Five, which has less distribution and the same cut? Again, that is a brilliant question because, if I may, the real question is what value is Facebook providing by taking 30% of a reduced transaction? If you look at Zynga, who's probably quite sophisticated at commerce, Facebook forced the, probably essentially forced them to give up control of their commerce for Facebook credits. And Facebook's not a gaming company. They're not a game publisher. They don't have any expertise at monetizing these kinds of games. And so what you hear from small developers is that they are giving up 30% of their revenue for for less commerce transaction. Um, the thing that, uh, you know, the leading casual game publishers like Real Networks and Big Fish and Wild Tangent did is that we became extremely advanced at marketing and commerce, such that on average, the yield across a given audience that we could achieve in commerce over uh, many years of work was 18x that which the same game could achieve or uh, content could achieve by itself. So generally, the reason that you pay a premium to a good game publisher is that they produce vast more dollars from the audience, and so you're more than happy to share a cut with them. Now, I would not claim that a High Five's uh, payment architecture is what I'd like it to be today, but we're going to roll out several things that come from the casual game business that dramatically amplify uh, monetization models. The first thing is what you call portfolio pricing. Pricing a collection of games produces more revenue from an audience than pricing them individually. So social game companies haven't discovered that monetization technique, and we're rolling that out in the month of October. 
the next piece that's missing is what we call ad commerce hybridization. Um, if you look at, again, pick Zynga because everybody's familiar with it. Zynga claims they make almost 100% of the money from 5% of the audience, which means they have 51 million impressions a day, if you believe app data on Facebook, they make no money from. That would be another 200 to 250 million in revenue a year if all they did was place a video ad in front of it. But because the free availability of play would cannibalize their commerce, they're afraid to do it. And so they choose between the commerce and the advertising dollars. Um, uh, I've learned how to build commerce systems that don't make that trade-off, and so one of the opportunities, of course, is that you can monetize all the paid play and all the advertising play, and HiFi is going to share all of the dollars, including the advertising dollars, which I don't think Facebook promises to do. So the hope is, of course, we're going to take a, you know, make some money from, from amplifying revenues, but that's our big hope. And the interesting thing about doing that is really good game publishers do it on an extraordinary scale. Uh, there was a time when Yahoo was the number one game site on Earth. Accidentally, they had a huge publishing business, so forth. All of that has drained away. Today, companies like Wild Tangent, Big Fish, and Real Networks own those audiences, and the game publishers go to them because they're so much more effective at marketing the titles and promoting and monetizing them. And the same will be true of High Five, that we're going to specialize at being a social media game publisher that monetizes titles extremely efficiently, not a social network that doesn't understand the commerce business but wants to find some way to tax their success. So that's a very different approach, even though, yes, we are charging for it. Do you feel that, you know, just having a dedicated social, you know, gaming network, something where it's just dedicated to gaming is actually going to not attract enough people uh, that, you know, something as ubiquitous as Facebook does, and therefore it's just, it's too risky to for smaller developers to even invest in. Yeah. You know, that is a perfect, uh, we, should, we should get you our press release, because what we're announcing is the answer to that question. The funny thing is, is people say, well, you know, I'm an engineer, so I, I analyze the hell out of everything. And one of the things that's phenomenal is nobody really seems to go, well, why did games spread so well on Facebook? What was the difference? What was it that caused these games to magically become successful when outside nobody wants to play them? And what is the difference between them and games like Club Penguins or Arctic's Adventure Quest, which make it on their own? And what's interesting is there's several problems. One is the acquiring, getting a registration, a user ID and a password. If you want to identify anybody online, it's an enormous barrier. So that when people come to a multiplayer game, the first thing the game has to say is stop. I refuse to let you play me until you identify yourself. Fill out this boring form for a game you don't even know if it's fun. And that's a huge barrier. A lot of people bounce off that. Because Facebook created a huge amount of registrations, all the games inside Facebook require no registration, so that barrier vanishes, which really gives games inside that environment enormous um, um, uh, virality and, and freedom for reaching an audience compared to games outside that bubble. So one of the things that we're announcing this week is what we call, um, in our new sociopath architecture, um, we're letting games use our graph importers. We're allowing supporting one guest accounts or anonymous accounts. So people who come to High Five can play social media games with no account, no registration. You can go right in. We have a uh, down the side of each game, and we take game Facebook and open social compatible games. So we don't game developers go look. You made a Facebook game? Throw it up here. It's no risk, and it's free money, free additional money or distribution. Um, 
But if you uh, post the game on our network uh, starting at the end of the month, um, the games will be able to be freely played with no account registration. So that's 100% of everybody in the internet, whether they have a Facebook account or not, can go in with no registration barrier, no Facebook connect, no username and password, and play games. And down the side of each games will be all the other players who want people to play with. So you don't have to play with your real identity and give away enormous amounts of personal information to perfect strangers just to play games with them, nor do you have to broadcast all of your leisure activities to all of your co-workers and friends and family. You can just enjoy playing a social game with people who want to play the game without any of that other nonsense involved. So I, my opinion is that the real identity thing is nice, and you can certainly invite real friends to play and use our infrastructure for doing that, but these games are not that social, and they're just kind of fun to play with other people. It doesn't matter who they are. Uh, as you know, games like World of Warcraft and traditional MMOs have long established that, that virtual relationships are perfectly good for gameplay. Um, the second thing we're doing that's fascinating is we're trying to turn the games loose on the internet without being dependent on our bubble. And so a lot of people don't understand the machinery that made sites like Facebook and High Five as large as they are. We run a social graph. We run a huge network of email importers. We send High Five sends 100 million messages a day. That infrastructure could never be built by a small game developer. That's what blew the bubble in time and space that made our audiences so huge, was this enormous messaging and contact importing architecture. And so one of the things that's interesting is that traditionally a social network said, well, that's our plumbing. We're going to reserve it for our own application. And thank you, by the way, we got some games back in here somewhere you might want to play too. What's interesting is, is that we can platformify or externalize that functionality and hand it straight to game developers. Every game can be its own little social portal. Invite friends from email, IM, Facebook directly into the game without going through our portal. Invite them straight in, message them straight into the game, create a social graph around the game. So you want to play, create your poker friend social graph? You can do that. You want to create a Farmville or a uh, uh, Backyard Monsters social graph? Every game can do that using this plumbing. So what we're doing is lending the social graph architecture, the thing that makes social graphs so huge and viral, directly to the games without dependence on going to our social portal. Now, of course, we're going to run our own profile pages and promote the games and have to do all that stuff inside our network. But any game posted inside uh, High Five this month through November will also be automatically what we call externalized. It will be able to work with anonymous players without registration. It'll be able to map straight to our graph importers and messaging platform without going through our you know, user profiles. And I think that will have a huge impact because as big as Facebook is, it's not as big as everybody on the internet. And that's what we're exposing the games to. So our, my hope is that the best thing, the most valuable pixie dust that social networks bring to games that make them really successful we are going to hand directly to the game developers and the stuff that obstructs virality, the fact that there is a bubble at all, the fact that we, you know, that social networks impose real identities for people who just want to play, we get rid of. It's not necessary. And so that's what we're announcing this month. Uh, and, and so when you see the technology, I think if you come to our demo and see it, you'll see very clearly what a powerful idea that is because you'll go, oh my god, of course that makes sense. These games, anybody can play them. They're just multiplayer. Uh, you can play with... You've, strangers, you can invite friends directly. What did I need a social network for? I didn't need any of that plumbing. Facebook and High Five and MySpace are just represented representations of relationships and contacts you already have. It's not necessary to come to our portal just to find that content or establish those relationships. You've already got them. They're your friends. Um, you know, what 
you know, this sounds all good in theory, but uh, let's talk about results then. How, you know, every developer hears about three, four, five different new platforms that are coming out. I mean, why should they even consider this or invest in this in this new idea versus, say, Facebook, which is already proven? And even though you may say that the viral channel has been turned off um, in the last, you know, three to four months, there's still been about two to five new games that have reached a million daily actives. Yeah. Um, and that's still pretty impressive. I mean, even compared to traditional MMO numbers, that's pretty huge. Sure. Uh, of course, Zynga has lost something like 40 to 60 million users since April as well, and they're spending vast sums of money to try to keep rebuying that audience and buy up the small developers. Um, social gaming, don't get me wrong, it's, you know, all these portals like MSN and Yahoo and AOL from a decade ago, they still have significant gaming audiences. They have multi-million dollar gaming businesses. Um, that will all be true. The thing that, that I think is going to change is that the ideas, the most valuable things that make social networking games successful, uh, I'd like to say they've been learned. They're going to be turned loose independently, and so I think you'll see a new generation of games that embody these ideas, but maybe without the same kind of restrictions or issues that the first generation games had. Uh, the second part of your question, or actually the first part of your question, is why should they believe me? Um, because obviously, you know, uh, High Five hasn't had an extraordinary track record of being a social game company. Well, I founded Wild Tangent. It is the number one largest game network, according to Comscore, in the U.S. We passed Yahoo, Disney, uh, Microsoft, and AOL, uh, oh, and Electronic Arts last year. 19.2 million users in the U.S. Not a social network, not a game developer anymore. Um, didn't buy the audience or distribution. Um, didn't uh, buy companies or require to get it. Nothing but publishing the same copy of Bejeweled and, uh, and Diner Dash that everybody else has, but doing it extremely effectively. And so I have an enormous background in building really successful online game publishing for over a decade, and I'd like to think I'm bringing that here. And prior to founding Wild Tangent, I was in charge of making DirectX at Microsoft. So the well, entire... Uh, sorry, go ahead. Is, is experience dangerous in this case? Because, you know, you look at some of the, the hugest developers now, you know, it's, it's actually the people who didn't have a clue about gaming that are, that are actually succeeding. So. Yeah, so is experience dangerous? Yes, in my case, it's extremely dangerous because um, the, you know, the, the obviously one of the biggest challenges in in the game industry is that that there are a lot of, in fact, I'd say people with a traditional gaming background come with a certain kind of brain damage um, that is actually more hard, difficult to overcome than complete newbies coming to the space. Um, and I would say that that certainly there are properties of that that are true for me as well. One of the reasons I joined High Five is that from the outside, before I joined the company, I was very mystified by the viral phenomena of social gaming. I could not figure out what made these social networks seem to levitate the way they did. I spent years trying to build audience. I mean, to get Wild Tangent to where it was at took a decade of business development and marketing and audience acquisition and uh, business modeling. And these kids come along in social networking and just blow a bubble in time and space. It's remarkable. And so I would absolutely uh, assert that, that um, had I not been highly receptive to uh, listening to what these guys had done and how they thought about things, that there is absolutely a danger of coming in and screwing it all up, doing all the wrong things. Uh, and one of the reasons I joined High Five is that the team there 
they love gaming, they love social gaming, but these guys were fundamentally social networkers. They really understood how they build that kind of levitation machine. And so what I'd like to say is that, you know, we'll see, but for better or worse, what I'd like to think I did is I came and I said, show me how you made this castle fly. Show me how the warp core works, because I want to turn that into a product and give it to everybody else. And that's what I think we're showing here with our new sociopath launch, is the productization of the pixie dust that makes social networking fly for games. So my hope is, is that, that I uh, brought the right expertise and technology to it and didn't impose too much of my uh, single-player downloadable uh, experience to the, uh, to the situation. And yeah, that's, that's certainly a very common mistake. It, that it is absolutely true that social networking, social networking gaming has often been a medium of the new and ignorant who aren't uh, weighted down by you know, uh, previous misunderstandings about the kind of business that they were in. Um, so can you talk about where you see the future of social gaming going then? Yeah, I think you know. The, uh, I think there's several things. If I look at social networks, I go, there was a big discovery that social networking itself is a new kind of MMO. You know, I, I think it's very funny when you hear stats going, well, 40% of the people on Facebook are playing games. Well, what do you mean? What are the other 60% doing? Working? And they're playing too. They're all playing. They're all playing. You know, com compete for social status and awareness and getting attention and recognition. Uh, and that blends very smoothly into deeper gameplay, which is what's fascinating about it. So I think that one, there's the discovery that social networks themselves are a kind of game. And so the thing I uh, hope to do with the High Five um, social portal itself is to really bring out the play aspects of socializing. So I expect that uh, HighFive.com, you know, our user experience will become more game-like over time. So I, want, I, I told our guys when I came in there, I said, you know what, we're going to make just one game here at High Five. High Five the game. Everybody else, we're going to enable their business. We're not going to compete with them by trying to make the kind of games they make. We're going to make them successful by understanding how to enable and accelerate what they do. Um, so I think that there's first the discovery that social networking is a type of gameplay itself, and I think that's interesting to bottle that and focus it even more strongly. I think that'll be a very interesting application. Second, uh, I think that the discoveries about virality, uh, what made social networks spread and reach the audiences, are really valuable lessons for uh, online gaming. And one of the realizations is that the infrastructure needed to harness that kind of scale isn't available to a small game developer. So I'd like to think that I'm ha uh, heralding a really dramatic change in the market by turning those technologies loose, freeing them up so that people can just use them without going playing by my rules entirely, if you will. And of course, I have to host all the architecture and infrastructure, but essentially saying, hey, go make your own social network. Here's all the magic without any of the dependencies. Uh, and so my hope is that I think you'll see a few years out games like the next generation of World of Warcraft uh, will inherently embody social networking attributes and virality and blend from being a 10 gigabyte download into a web experience rather smoothly. Uh, I think the first interesting evidence, I don't know if you've seen this, but uh, Turbine's Lord of the Rings Online has switched from a, you know, a premium boxed retail game with a subscription to a free-to-play microcurrency game. So I think you'll see the real deep games adopting virality, online distribution, microcurrency, and advertising hybrid business models. Uh, and I think you'll see the, uh, most of the game industry go that way over time. Uh, so I think over the next few years, that'll be a fascinating transition. And so where can developers find out more information about um, High Five and the opportunities of Sociopath or 
Oh, absolutely. You can go to, uh, of course, the High Five Developer site, where all you have to do, if you've got a Facebook or open social game, is you literally just go up there, register it, and post it. Now, truthfully, if you want to integrate it better and adopt the currency system, it takes about a week work, but it's really very trivial. Um, and then, of course, on our developer site, we have a press release that's going to go up there this week showing off the sociopath stuff. And one of the things, you know, I've been building developer platforms for years, and one of the things I've learned religiously is that everybody loves you and adopts your technology a lot easier if it's zero work. So earlier this year, we cloned Facebook's um, uh, architecture so that Facebook games work. Uh, the sociopath architecture works for fo Facebook and open social games with no modification. Uh, we're just going to, we just flip some bits inside our infrastructure. We're doing all of the work. So you can get all of the benefits of sociopath without doing any work at all. Now, clearly, once people see how powerful this is, I think there's stuff that they'll want to change, and we'll be happy to support them in that. But it doesn't require any work or adoption at all just to try it. You just got to post the game. And as I said to you, it's no risk. You've got the investment, just electrons, cost nothing to print. You put it on high five, and we'll show you what this technology is capable of doing, and hopefully it'll change all the rules. Thank you very much.